If you're good at something, never do it for free. Typhoon, y'all know me, and I'm coming up, just wait and see. If you're good at something, never do it for free. But if you're great at something, would you still agree? Typhoon, y'all know me, and I'm coming up, just wait and see. If you're good at something, never do it for free. But if you're great at something, would you still agree? So let me take Hey everyone, welcome back to the Kevin and HJ podcast. And of course, today I have Hedjun back on. I think this podcast is long overdue, Hedjun, especially with all the things that have been going on in the world of soccer, especially that exciting, exciting second leg of the Champions League. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> everybody, everybody had a lot of things to do, so it's uh, unfortunately got put in the back burner. But a lot of excitement for both of us and the English Premier League as a whole as all four teams advanced um, in the English Premier League. And that's really good news in terms of the strength overall of the English Premier League. But let's I, I think the most exciting game that ended up happening, I mean, there's so many exciting matchups that ended up happening during the second leg. But how can we not start off with your team hedging, Man U, Coming up in the clutch, Marcus Rashford, he had he had some big balls in that uh situation. What what were your feelings as you're kind of watching that game happen? Mm. <laughs> I mean it's it's definitely great. Uh we we had what ten starters unable to start, right? So we had uh ra- like Basically, the whole midfield was basically just people who didn't usually start. Right. And I I mean, the one person or player that I wanted to get into and your thoughts on, and this is someone that we've disagreed on on the podcast before, is Romelo Lukaku, who you've been pretty adamant about. I'm Maybe I'll insert a couple quotes from previous podcasts here, but... Hedjun would always say, we need to get rid of this guy. Um, you would talk about maybe bringing in Olivier Giroud in, in his place. But he's really shown off his form over the past, I would say, couple weeks or so. Yeah, I think Lukaku doesn't have to worry about keeping possession anymore or being mm, being the target man. Mm-hmm. It's it's a different tactic. Um they're playing a lot more direct yeah, from what I've watched. Yeah, and, and they're they're happy to uh wait for the right moment to like counterattack. So you, you you might have like you might realize that their possession is like way down, mm-hmm. which is fine. Like that's that's perfectly fine. But when we're pr- playing direct like attacking football, I think yeah, Lukaku can shine through. I mean, he's a tall guy, like he he can probably draw in you know, a couple of defenders and, um, and I, I don't know, like he, no, I was he just, he seems to have, to have changed his, his game a little bit. Yeah. I mean, he's been on a scoring tear lately. He's, I think he scored like six goals in three games or something like that. And it's been really impressive to watch and see him be able to perform the way he has been. And I mean, I, I honestly did not see them going through against PSG, especially with the lineup they uh, put out there. And it just seemed like they were playing a lot more direct. You guys got a gift of a goal early on, I would say, 
um, with some pretty lackadaisical def- um, passing and possession in the back for PSG. And Lukaku definitely, he, he, was, he was a poacher. He was what he, his role was supposed to be in that game. He scored that first really quick goal and probably the first two minutes to give United that confidence. And then in that... But he could have missed that so easily. Oh, knowing, yeah. Knowing yeah. Lukaku, he could have missed that. Well, but. I don't know. He's been on a tear lately. So give him the benefit of that, the doubt there. And then I believe PSG ended up coming back and scoring fairly quickly in, the in I would say, the next five to ten minutes or so uh, through. And it was... And I was pretty impressed with how well Man U maintained their composure, especially, you know, only being tied 1-1. And then towards the end of the first half, they ended up getting another... Was it another goal in that end of the first half to go up 2-1 when... Mm-hmm. It was um, like 36-minute or something, Right, I think. when Lukaku ended up putting his uh, second it was, goal in. It was uh, Rashford... Taking that taking shot. Taking that shot. Just, uh, it was like 35 yards yeah, out. Yeah, and, and then it was pouring out. Yeah. Right? It was pouring out that day in, in Paris, and uh, Buffon kind of made a meal of it. Like he yeah, you got to feel bad for Buffon, don't you? I mean well, <laughs> well, I, I don't know yeah. as a Man U fan, but I think as a neutral observer, yeah, with where he is at in terms of his age and where he's at in terms of his career, this was probably one of his better shots at progressing forward yeah. um, with the talent that's on this PSG team. And then we haven't even got to the controversial PK call. And honestly, watching that real time, I did not think it was that controversial at all. I thought it was a clear PK. I thought it was more unfortunate for Kimpembe um, that the shot hit his hand. But you have to make that call if you're the ref. Well, And, and it, it was fascinating hearing some of the commentators um reactions to it in that if you're watching the u.s based commentators they were like oh man i can't believe they called that i can't believe they gave it through var uh to me it's no question that it's a pk no i i totally yeah, agree with you and i'm not e- and i'm a liverpool fan. yeah yeah if you look at it from the var perspective he looked at the like the trajectory of the ball and he swung his arm out, you know, outwards. Right. It, it, it wasn't w- even like a natural, like... It wasn't close to his no, body at all. No. Yeah. He knew exactly what he was doing. Yeah. And I don't think he necessarily stuck his arm out to block the ball. I think it was just more of a, like, protecting his face and his arm kind of just, like, went up into into the air and it blocked it that way. And it was just unfortunate for him in that instance that it ended up happening in that way yeah he didn't even fight it though so yeah just goes to show that i thought the neymar comments after the game Mm. were hilarious by the way yeah class yeah uh something that you'd expect from Neymar. but we did catch a lucky break um you know like i remember rabio uh he hit a he hit the goal post uh i think the first half Mm mm-hmm uh, should that have gone in? Like we probably wouldn't have made it. Um, but yeah, I, I overall like I was pretty happy, especially with this is a funny. I've, there was a funny meme saying that like uh, people like McTominay, uh, Chung, and someone else, some youngster, 
Uh, they played in uh, in Paris, you know, on a Wednesday night, and the next morning they had to go back to school. Yeah, yeah, like that's insane. Yeah, it it really is insane that these young kids are like contributing to what United's doing, and that's how short they were on players in terms of injuries lately, and. I think one of the big storylines coming out of the game, especially with them moving on to the final eight in the Champions League, especially with this tumultuous year happening, is does Skolshlar end up, is ha, is he basically guaranteed the job after this season with the performance that he's been able to put forward um, for Man U? I think if because you were... Because people were com- coming up with memes for that storyline as well, saying it would be insane if they didn't give him the job. Mm, I think I would have been on that boat uh, before the Arsenal game. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, yeah, it's it's their first loss and whatever. I think like 12, uh, 12 games or whatever, like, I think home games. Right. Uh, anyway, like it's some odd statistic, and yeah, it I would. I it would. <sighs> it's gonna. It would be tough to like. I don't know. I don't know what your feelings are, but my thinking is yes, the good feelings are there because they advance to the final eight. They're now. I now. I think they're sitting in the fifth. sitting in fifth right now. Mm-hmm. Um. Because that was that was a huge game going against Arsenal. Right, right, and they ended up losing. What I think my thing is though, if they're if everything finishes the way we think they are, and we're gonna preview the uh, final eight later in the podcast, but they're up against Barcelona in the next yeah. round. Let's say hypothetically, I think they'll probably go out in the next round mm. and then end up finishing fifth um, in the league. That means no Champions League football next year. And I don't know if that's something that they're okay with with um, Skolskar overseeing the team mm. um, through this period or if they want to get just kind of have a fresh, fresh start and bring in the guy that they want to bring in long term. Well, the issue is that there's no guy in right, the right. long term guy. And I think right, because Zidane went back to Real, right? And I think that's a great transition um, with Zidane going back to Real, um, especially with and we can talk about Real and their misfortunes in the Champions League as well against Ajax, and they look like complete shit mm. in that game against Ajax when they knew what they needed to do and losing in the fashion that they did four to one. Are you kidding me? And like a lot of people are making. Um, Sergio Ramos, the uh, scapegoat because of his yellow card mm. in the previous game and his comments after the game saying, eh, well, I'll be there in the next round. Yeah. Um, I thought I thought it was funny how uh, I asked Captain Frankie de Jong and how he is a Everybody knows that he's a Barca fan, and he's like, "I'm gonna." And I'm he's gonna a Barca. Cru- is he's a Barca player being loaned out yeah. to um, Ajax right th- right now I think this season? I, is that right? Yeah, he is. Okay. Well, anyway, he he did his thing, and he made people look silly. He d- had yeah, that one like Modric, yeah, yeah. Cruz, and just everyone. On, I mean, Modric is a Ballon d'Or winner, and 
made him look like he was washed up, like mm-hmm. about to retire kind of player. It's cool. Yeah, and I think through that, obviously Zidane ended up coming back into the fold for Real because Ajax ended up being Real. And Real has been – this is like uncharted territory for them. They've not – they have not had a good year. Uh, maybe you call it the Ronaldo effect with them kind of coping and trying to figure out how to play without Ronaldo. And I think it just kind of shows how big of a like big of a factor that Ronaldo played on that team. And speaking of Ronaldo, he played a gr- big, huge factor for Juventus in, in scoring a hat trick yeah. um, against Atletico. And Atletico ended up they were winning that first leg 2-0 and they were up two goals and then Ronaldo ends up putting like turns back the clock like t- 5 10 years or whatever yeah. and puts on that performance for Juventus to put them through man i i just couldn't it was just like vintage ronaldo watching that game and when i was thinking about it it was just i i just couldn't believe like atletico let it slip like that the way they did. Mm. Like, but I think they're better than that, too. Yeah. I think that's the, I guess, the double-edged sword or, like, the, the, the uh, what is it, like, gob- like the poison goblet or whatever, whatever the term is, uh, is, like, if you are winning by a, a lot in the first leg, mm-hmm. you just kind of turn off. Right, right like just you, mentally. You, yeah. And that's such a that's such a I don't know, silly thing, but it it just happens. Yeah. You, you it can't really help that. But like it's just that mentality. Um yeah. I, I think there was a clip going around. Was it the PSG clip where a couple years ago they're up on I think it was Barcelona um like four one or something in the oh first yeah. leg and yeah, then yeah, yeah. Barcelona ended up winning like five one or six yeah. one in the second leg. Yeah. And that clip was being replayed as PSG kind of ended up losing to Man U. Yeah. And it there's definitely a mentality switch for these players because of I think a lot of the games that are coming up for the for domestic leagues, for a lot of the cups that are ending mm. um ending up playing so if you end up getting a huge lead in that first leg, I think players end up thinking subconsciously, maybe not consciously, but subconsciously like, oh, we have this in the bag and we're not too worried about this game. Oh, poisonous chalice. I think that's <laughs> what I was trying to say. But uh, funny story, uh, Ronaldo set out this past game for in the, in the, in the Serie A game. Right. And they lost. They they lost their first game. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, well, is it really Ronaldo who is affecting the the whole mentality, or is it just a pure coincidence? But like, you look at Real, and it's like, yeah, he's I gone, know. and they're like spiraling out of control. Yeah, they don't. And I, I mean, to go back to that Zidane point, I'm really curious to see, like, and I wonder what journalist is going to be able to get this information. But I'm curious to see why Zidane ended up stepping away from Real and then ultimately ended up coming back um, in this instance. I think a lot of people are pointing to Ronaldo being gone now that he feels like he has a better 
grasp or control of the team, and that's the reason why. But I don't know. I, 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 I don't know why you would leave a team like that and then to only come back, like, basically less than a year later. I think, for me personally, I think it, it was uh, to keep Perez on a short leash. Uh, the the owner or the um, Florentino Perez, yeah, 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 the president, the, the yep. president of yeah, yeah, Real Madrid, yeah. uh, because he has a lot of he he says things that he shouldn't. He does things that he shouldn't be as president mm-hmm. for real. Um, and obviously, for a manager like Zidane, who's new, like, but had a terrific cr- career, uh, probably shouldn't take any of that. And he was like, well, you know what? I'm just going to walk away because I don't want to deal with this shit. Mm. But then, I mean, he probably came back when Perez said, hey, we really need you. And Zidane probably said it's going to be on my own terms. Yeah, and I, I'm going to be really interested to see what this team looks like next year, especially without Ronaldo, mm. um, because he was such a central figure for them um, in previous Champions League um, winners teams. And I, I don't know... Um, how he's going to end up integrating some of the younger guys that they have now into that team. And there's a lot of speculation, uh, transfer window speculation, for this summer in terms of who they're going to bring in, possibly Neymar. There's rumors about uh, Mohamed Salah, please no, or Sadio Mane. So and, and it's like, I don't know if they're going to just do the whole Real thing again and just be like, yeah, we have... Like, we have the most money we're going to put our dick on the table basically and just like spend as much as we can to buy all these players or if if it's going to be a little bit more organic so i heard zidane wants hazard uh right and And that's another name yeah yeah erickson yep because erickson he knows he's gonna leave at the end of the season Mm -hmm. um because they're refusing to negotiate salary with him right um so I mean that uh, we can talk about Tottenham maybe. Yeah, um, let's talk about Tottenham. They ended up winning their game against Dortmund, um, one zero, and Dortmund had a ton of chances in that game. I don't know if you ended up watching that yeah, game, but they ended up having a ton of chances. But Tottenham stood tall. I thought Hugo Lloris was like the man of the match in that game, just being able to keep them in. And then um, I believe Harry Kane ended up scoring yeah. uh, that decisive goal to kind of um, basically prevent any type of ideas from Dortmund from coming back. Um, They ended up winning 4-0 on aggregate over the two legs. So it's not like it was very close at all. And I think Dortmund really ended up screwing themselves over with the lineup they started in that first leg and kind of put themselves behind the eight ball. But Tottenham looks really good in the Champions League right now, but that's it's more it's like a Jekyll and Hyde situation with the way they've performed in the league right now and how how they've struggled mightily especially with them being the third they were supposedly the third team um that was supposed to compete for the league and now they've really really fallen off to the point where they're in a they're in a battle for third and fourth um in the for the third and fourth Champions League spots um, because they're only sitting three points clear of Man United, mm. who's in fifth. Well, I, I think, you know what I think is the problem? I think it's Harry Kane. 
Okay. And I and this isn't a take that is I would say controversial no, at all. I think not. it I think it's been out there right now, but do you want to explain why you think that Harry Kane might be the problem? Uh I, I mean he's he's a quality player. Um obviously. Quality. Obviously. Right, right. Uh but I, I think Tottenham relies too much on him and he's like let's face it, he's not like nowhere on Ronaldo level. Mm-hmm. And the the point of attack is way too obvious, right? It just all goes to Kane. And there's no I, I just don't see like a plan B, like use someone who's been a lot better, you know, who's been on fire. Um no, but all the ball goes to Kane and when they're blocked, like they just don't know what to do and uh if Kev uh is uh if Kane is having a uh, an off night, right? That means the team probably loses. And that's what's very perplexing to me, especially without Kane when he was out with an ankle injury. They just seem to play more cohesively yeah. together. And now that he is now that he's back, and it's it like you're saying, they seem to force feed him the ball, and then they seem to be devoid of ideas yeah. once that doesn't work, and they don't go to Plan B and say, hey, maybe we should spread it out wide to Son and and our wide players and then maybe get Kane service in different ways instead of maybe making through balls or going over the top uh, to him early on. And I just feel like they can be a little bit more creative with the ball, a little bit more creative with their ideas. They have the players to do it and the talent. I mean, Ericsson's one of the most creative players probably in the world, so it's not like they're lacking in that way. Um, and I don't, I, I don't know. They just seem to be struggling a lot in the league right now, um, be, because it's it's not looked pretty. Like in their last four games in in the league, they've lost, they've lost to Burnley, lost to Chelsea two zero, drew against Arsenal one one, and then they've lost to South the Southampton loss this past yeah. weekend was not a good loss two one, so. and they're sitting. In a relegation battle. So you right let me now. know if that's coincidence, but the Burnley game is when Harry Kane came back. Yeah, I think he, I think that's when he came so, back. So, you know, like, and even without Kane, they won what, like three or four straight? And it probably, like, if they had won at least one of one of or two of those games, they'll probably still be in the running, but they're not. Like, it's. Yeah, and, and they're sitting at 61 points, Arsenal's at 60. Man U, who's in fifth, is sitting at 58 as of now, and then Chelsea's at 57. So it there it's there's a possibility, and they have a couple tough games coming mm-hmm. up. I know they play Liverpool. I know they still play Man City. They if, play Man City in the new stadium. Right. So the thing is, if things don't work out for them, there's a real possibility after a see after probably the half season where. Tottenham fans thought they're possibly going to compete for the league title where they drop out of the top four and end up in fifth or sixth. Yeah. Uh, and I, I wonder how, how TK is dealing with all the stress of that. That's that's classic Tottenham, though. You know, at the end of the season, like nearing April, they, they start falling apart a little bit. And maybe that has to do with some of their depth and yeah. all that yeah. type of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, for sure. Yeah. And w- it, it is perplexing. It's kind of worrisome for the uh, Tottenham fans because 
I don't know if you could really point their problems to the depth because th- that's their depth ended up carrying them through the injuries of Harry Kane and mm. Deli Ali. So it's like, what is going on? And and the only thing is what it coincides with is Harry, Harry Kane, Kane coming back. back. So I I mean it's like one of those things where I don't know what parallel there is, but maybe it's kind of like in basketball, if you have such a good player, you end up force feeding the good player to take, and he ends up taking as many shots as possible. Maybe like a la Res- Russell Westbrook on the OKC Thunder, mm-hmm. and you kind of just give him the ball and let him do his thing. Whereas maybe if you had a lesser player, they're able to be a little bit more cohesive yeah. and spread the ball around. And chemistry wise, it ends up ends up like helping the role players. And and then taking a larger role, and giving them a little bit more confidence on the field. Mm, I mean, yeah, it's sorry to say, but Tottenham might. might it's kind. I mean, I. It's not like I have a dog in the race, other than no. like Liverpool when I talk about Tottenham. But it's just kind of funny to think how they were being talked about up there with Man City and Liverpool, mm. and now they're really fighting for their lives. So. Yeah. Um, we can move on. We haven't talked about my team yet. Liverpool ends up coming up with a huge, huge win um, at Bayern Munich, 3-1. Ending up, they ended up like really, I thought they looked extremely, extremely good. And they've kind of shaken out of a funk um, in the league. But that game, that 3-1 victory away from home, away from Anfield, I thought was a really, really impressive win for Liverpool um, to possibly give them confidence moving forward in the Champions League and in the league. And I thought Bayern looked really old in that game. Mm. Um, the And what concerned me about Bayern was, um, I think when you think about their team, they're such a skilled team. They have such good possession type of players. But when they ended up going down to Liverpool, they didn't have that incisive slash, I would say, speed to get to get to goal and to be able to say, hey guys, we're down a couple goals now. We really need to get our uh, get our attack going. And they they looked more methodical in their attack instead of looking more, I would say, dangerous. And I I, I was super confused with that. Frank Ribéry definitely didn't look like the player that we've come to know of him. And I I was like, I was very comfortable with the way Liverpool looked against them, even at the later stages of the game when, you know, honestly, Liverpool's kind of struggled defensively, especially with Matip at the center of their defense. And that's got to be something that um, I thought Bayern really had to take advantage of and they weren't able to. I think, I think without Van Dyke, oh yeah, you, you guys like literally nothing. Yeah, he's he's literally your saving grace right now. Like he he scored so many goals like in the past few games, not just in the league, but like right. Oh. And that's and I think that's why it was amazing in the first leg of this of of this matchup when Van Dyke wasn't playing and they were able to hold it to 0-0 draw, that's why it was so crucial to hold it to that 0-0 draw. 
and well, not a- allow any away But if goals. Van Dyke is out of commission for whatever reason going forward... Oh, yeah, we're screwed. Yeah. I've acknowledged that. But there, but that's a, the game that I think Jurgen Klopp has decided to play. And it's one of those things where, of course, I'd love to have more center back depth because of the struggles that Liverpool has displayed with Lovren and Matip um, in previous seasons. But hopefully Van Dyke's able to hold out for the next month and a half or so. Nothing happens bad on international break with the Netherlands. And he's able to hold on through, but th- like he's definitely the key piece for Liverpool. I would say he's been like the main MVP um, for them this season. Uh, and uh, I don't. I'm kind of disappointed at how Salah. Um, even if he doesn't score goals, he should be able to at least draw some players in. Right. But I just I don't know. I don't know if I've seen that sort of like stands and he's like yeah. yeah he's really struggled i would say i think he's over the past couple of games he's really struggled in terms of finding the balance of pressing for his shot and his and his opportunities and then also realizing what the correct play is to um in that situation and i think right now he's getting frustrated by not scoring many goals and he's really looking for a shot when there's multiple opportunities where he probably should be passing the ball up to to better runs in the middle of the field and I, I just think he's getting super frustrated by not seeing the ball go in the back of the net that he's really pressing for a shot and and he really needs to understand that since he's one of those guys that are now feared upon, teams are really going to key in on him defensively, and he has to understand that the game has to come a little bit more organically to him and not really... I I, I just don't... I think he needs to practice a little bit more patience on the field. I also think it's the result of Liverpool not pressing as much. Yeah, I think they're saving their legs. Gagan pressing is, is... pretty much gone um and like i remember when liverpool like one of the liverpool f- players got the ball he would just run like run in behind uh and like he would have pretty much the whole space to like dribble and put put the goal or put the ball into the back of the net but uh now it's it's been more i don't know um the Klopp's, like, strategy seems a little bit more normal. Right, right. And I just don't think he has adjusted to that kind of uh, strategy yet. So, I, I don't know. Yeah, that's that's my thinking. But Yeah, I totally agree with that. And, I, g- I mean, I don't know what you want to do here. Maybe we could preview the final eight right now. So, yeah. last week, last Friday, they ended up coming out with the quarterfinals and then the semifinal matchups yeah. as well. Yeah. And I'm going to list the matchups right now. So in the quarterfinals, Tottenham plays Man City. So all English uh, matchup there. Liverpool plays Porto. Ajax gets Juventus. And then Man U versus Barcelona. Mm. Some really juicy matchups there. Um, I think Liverpool got extremely lucky getting Porto. I think that... 
either getting Ajax or Porto was the team that you kind of wanted to get over the, all the other teams. Obviously, Barcelona was probably the one. Barcelona and Man City were probably the two teams you wanted to definitely avoid with the form that they're both in right now. Um, so going into that matchup against Barcelona, how, how do you guys feel? And then it's the winner of Tottenham versus Man City plays the winner of Ajax and Juventus, and the winner of Liverpool and Porto plays the winner of Man U Barcelona. So there's a possible Liverpool Man U uh, yeah. Champions League matchup Possibly. in the semifinals uh, if they're able to both. Well, get here's the thing: Man U has the the height advantage. They definitely do that. Uh, have that. A lot of players are over six foot, like six foot three, right? Mm-hmm. So set pieces are going to yeah, be yeah. Corner key kicks factor. is going to be very important for Man United. Um, I think. I don't think there's going to be much of a tactical change. Um, yeah, and it seems like they're going to probably play extremely direct with the ball and then yeah. kind of hunker down defensively. Yeah, and. Um. Yeah, it, the s- the defensive line for Barca is is a little stagnant too. I, I feel like I mean, sure they're they're veterans, but uh, I I just hope we can get them on you know pace like Rashford, maybe getting in behind or even Lukaku. Um, right, and like. It's fine if you don't score. Just get it on target and try to force Ter Stegen to, uh, you know, put it out in the in the uh, put the ball out and get a corner. Right. Or try to just um, you know, draw on a free kick. Right. Kind of and situation. I I honestly think Barcelona is definitely vulnerable in a couple defensive areas, and it's not like they're as stout defensively as years past. Yeah. And. Messi literally looks like the same as he did five, ten years ago. Like, he's a wizard on the ball. And it looks like he hasn't changed. So, uh, obviously, uh, offensively, he's going to be the main guy to key on uh, for Man U. But offensively, they have Suarez. They have Coutinho. Suarez has kind of come come on a little bit more. And Dembele's looked pretty good as well. Though, I, the... I don't know. They just have so many attacking options there that I don't really know how Manu ends up stopping them unless they go super defensive and really say, all right, we're going to key in on, on them defensively. And they're going to really ask their, I would say, their wingers mm-hmm. to come back and help defensively and really track back. Or even like the central midfielders to kind of cover the wing. Right, right. And um, that's going to be important for yeah. Matic and whoever they put McTominay in there if um, um, a couple of their other yeah. players aren't healthy. I, th- I think Matic doesn't... I don't think he deserves... Like, he, he should be on that squad going against Barca. His feet are too slow. Yeah, and I'm I'm curious to see what ends up happening like and how tactically yeah. Skolskar ends up setting up his team um, against Barcelona. Like, it would have been perfect if we c- we have someone like Fred and Ander Herrera... Right. Uh, and Pogba just kind of forming a triangle. But I don't know. It, uh, I don't know how how long Ender Herrera is out for. Right. And I, I think someone like De Gea equalizes a lot of things. And you have to hope that he stands on his head 
uh, during this matchup to be mm. able to keep Manu in it and maybe go into PKs um, eventually and hopefully take your chances there. Because I like that matchup. Th- I would take De Gea all day over Ter Stegen, <laughs> even though Ter Stegen's like an amazing goalie. Uh, sure, I mean, that's if that's why you, you know, if that's whatever floats your boat. Yeah, so that that's a fascinating matchup. Man City Tottenham. We didn't get to talk about Man City in the round we of sixteen. We didn't really need to because yeah, Man City insane. has looked extremely good. They have a game in hand right now, and they're two points behind Liverpool in the league. And as a Liverpool fan, I am not feeling great about Liverpool's chances in the league anymore, especially with how good Man City's looked in their past five games in the league, which they've won all of them. Um, they've. I mean, there's there's signs of them struggling a little bit. They ended up, I think, tying or or they're losing two zero to Swansea City this past weekend um, in the FA Cup, and then they ended up scoring three goals in the last thirty minutes or so. So that was a little bit of a scare for them. So maybe they're maybe mentally, if they're turned off, like we were talking about at the beginning of the podcast, that's when you have the opportunity to catch them. I don't know if they're going to be losing their big matchups against, like, Man United in the league or against... Um, I, I believe they have Tottenham as well left, but maybe one of the the bottom-tier teams can kind of give them a surprise to help Liverpool out. You know what's really scary? Uh, I saw a clip. It was, like, 10 seconds of Pep walking into the locker room after the players, and he basically said... Like, sit down, nobody talk, right? And you would, like, from from the way he said everything, like, in that 10 seconds, you would think that they were down maybe, like, 2-0 to, like, a bottom-tier table, like, bottom-table team. Yeah. But they were actually up, like, 3-0. And this was the, I, I believe that w- the that quote that you're taking it yeah. from was that game where they ended up winning, like, 5-1 yeah, against Yeah, it's, Schalke, like, insane. Right? It's, like, yeah, yeah. it's, like, what... <laughs> Like, uh, yeah, and the this is something that we've harped on all year is that depth that they've had, yeah. um, at all positions, and that's something that has really, really helped them out as well. I, I, uh, I thought their left back depth with Fabian Delph, um, filling in for Benjamin Mendy this whole season has been he's been serviceable, but that's the one probably weak spot that. If you're a team, you're probably going to try to exploit. But other than that, they seem to have strengths all over the field, especially with De Bruyne coming back mm-hmm. um, a couple months ago. Yeah. Um, tough game for Tottenham, for sure. Uh, what's another fun fact? Uh, Man City and Man U were supposed to host. So Man City was supposed to host Tottenham and, and uh, the uh, what's that stadium? What's their stadium called? The Etihad. The Etihad Stadium. Uh, and uh, Manu was supposed to host Barcelona at, at OT, and there's a rule, like this random rule in in the Champions League uh, guidelines, saying that uh, two teams from the same league cannot host uh, their home games on the same in the same city, same yeah. city, yeah. So during the same week, yeah, yeah. So Man City, because they won the league last year gets to host, right? They right, play their right. home game. But Man U, since they were second, yep. they need to go down to um, 
uh, Bar- they, they, they need to go out to Barcelona, Barcelona Cup first. Right, right, right. Uh, so that's that's interesting. I never knew that, and um, yeah, that's gonna be an interesting, I guess, wrinkle. factor. Yeah. Um, and I wonder how they end up. It, I think it's gonna encourage them to go for goal, a goal, um, yeah. an away goal, yeah. especially between being getting that key away goal is the most important thing because that's such a big tiebreaker um, over the over this home and home type of leg. So I would expect them to be a little bit more ca- uh, cautious on in their second leg and a little bit more aggressive in their first leg and take a little bit more risks as they try to get try to secure that first away goal against Barcelona. Um, Hedjun, how do you feel about Liverpool, Porto, and Juventus Ajax? Do you, do you kind of see it going chalk uh, and see like Liverpool going through and I, uh, Juventus going yeah, through? Yeah, I mean, at this point, I think... I don't think Ajax has really a ch- like a chance against Juventus just because Juventus has been such a strong team right uh you know historically in the in the champions league too uh-huh. um and ajax being the underdog uh, you know there's only so much you can do as an underdog right against like a very seasoned veteran so i don't, I don't really see ajax going through uh mm. maybe they'll give juventus a run for their money but yeah i, I don't see an upset there same thing at Liverpool and Porto. Um, I think as the season wears on, like, yeah, sure, Liverpool's depth has been a been an issue, but I think it's more so the case for Porto as well. Mm-hmm. So, I don't I don't see any upsets uh, happening in that end either. Um, so yeah, it, Liverpool will probably get to the semis. Um, much play, easier and than play Barcelona. <laughs> yeah, well, we'll see. Yeah, we we could give our predictions right now, actually. But then I think what I'm worried about Liverpool is Andy Robertson ended up picking that, picking up that really late yellow card, and he's going to be suspended for the first leg of this match. So I wonder what Klopp ends up doing. I don't think he's going to end up playing Alberto Moreno at left back. I actually think he's he'll probably play James Milner there and then keep the lineup relatively similar. Fabinho's been spot-on really good for Liverpool lately, um, winning tackles in that center defensive mid- midfield role. So I wouldn't be surprised if he plays there, uh, probably with Henderson and um, Wijnaldum in the middle of the park, mm. and then putting Milner at left back. So I wouldn't be surprised about that. And... Um, I just think Robertson does give Liverpool that dynamic uh, defender outside left back going forward, especially in tandem with uh, Mane or Salah. So it it's a it's a little troublesome that he's being suspended for that first leg, and I think that's where Porto is going to have to really capitalize, as I think Liverpool is at home in that first leg. So I would really expect Porto to come out pretty strong in that first leg, uh, trying to secure that away goal. Mm. Yeah, but I, I don't I don't see any upsets happening. Right. So if I'm if I'm going through each of the quarterfinal matchups, I think I have Man City going through, I have Liverpool going through, Juventus going through, and I think Barcelona goes through. 
um, unfortunately. But I think Barcelona, I think it's going to be a little bit tighter than a lot of people think. Uh, I'm going to do Man City, Juventus, Liverpool, Man U. Okay, can't can't <laughs> give that up. Yeah, obviously, especially after the last round, with a couple of upsets, honestly, I would yeah. say, I mean, Ajax was definitely not expected to go through. Even Tottenham, like, I don't know if a lot of people had money on them to go through uh, yeah. when, when the matchups came out against Dortmund. And then uh, Liverpool-Bayern, that was even something that was somewhat of a surprise as well. And then Man U coming back in that matchup against PSG. There yeah. were quite a few matchups last last round, so you just never know what ends up happening um, in the Champions League. And you, especially over the course of two legs, the, a lot of things can change. Yep, yep, for sure. So, Hedging, I did want to focus on a little bit on the league, um, English Premier, Premier League. We talked a lot about um, the top four and who's going to make the top four. So, Hedging, give me your quick prediction. As it stands right now, top four, we are 30, I would, 30, one games, 30 games into this season. Um, a couple teams have a game in hand. Liverpool's through 31 games. Man City's through 30. Tottenham through 30. Arsenal through 30. Man U through 30. Chelsea through 30. So with seven ga- seven or eight games left in the season, how do you envision the top four going down? Man City... Uh, Man City at number one. Man City at number one. Uh, I would say Liverpool. Okay. At two. I think it's pretty clear. It's either going to be the one, it's going to be them one, yeah. two. Yeah. Uh, and then Man U at three. Okay. And <laughs> I think I have Arsenal at four. Yeah. Arsenal, just the Arsene Wenger uh, thing that they always have yeah. going for them finishing <laughs> up at four. I don't love Tottenham's form lately. Yeah. And I, they have a couple really tough fixtures coming up. I know they have Man City and Liverpool and that's probably that those two matchups are really going to probably decide who makes the Champions League on Tottenham's yeah. end of things and who's going to win the league. Yeah, I mean, it's two big games for sure and that's six points lost while, you know, Arsenal and Man U and even Chelsea can get six points. Right. So, like as it stands, I mean, like like you said earlier, Tottenham is only one point behind. Uh, Arsenal only two points behind, or sorry, three points behind uh, Tottenham or Man, Man U. Yeah, yeah. Or, so or ahead of ahead of Man U. Right, right. So it's like you know two games, and you everything could be flip flopped there right. for sure. And even Chelsea, who's looked pretty terrible over the past couple of weeks or so. They're still in it, and they're sitting at 57 points. They're only three points behind Arsenal. Yeah. So it's not like e- even Chelsea, who's like basically on the brink of losing all of their guys, especially if they don't make the Champions League with Hazard. And, this, and that would basically be the second year of them not making the Champions League, unless they do well in the Europa League. That would cause, I would say, a lot of cause for concern for a lot of the players there in terms of what type of direction they're going to be yeah. going in. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I think there's a l- there are a lot of questions about Maurizio Sarri and whether or not he ends up staying. I think in the beginning of the year, especially with them competing and doing well 
and challenging for the league title, I would say, in the first half of the season. Everyone was in love with him, and then it just quickly turns the way it does um, in the English Premier League, and now there's like questions as to whether or not he stays. Uh, I don't think he's not staying. <laughs> yeah, and Abramovich is not, and who's the owner of Chelsea, is not known to have mm. um, a lot of patience in terms of giving his managers chance after chance. Yeah. Um. Yeah, he's pushed out many, many popular yeah. managers at Chelsea. So I'm really curious to see how that situation plays itself out. Um. Yeah. I don't know. Liverpool, they're two points clear right now of Man City. One game in hand, or one game in hand for Man City, and that that win against uh, <laughs> this past weekend, th- the win against Fulham, that was a must, obviously, especially with Fulham sitting clearly in the relegation zone. Mm. It seems like if Liverpool's able to grind out a win against Tottenham, it's gonna do wonders for their confidence i think moving forward um so i'm i don't know i don't feel confident that liverpool is going to win the the league and i think man city um might run the table and win out but um i'm a lot more hopeful than i would say three weeks ago two or three weeks ago uh yeah i think at this point Injury is going to be a big cause for concern for Liverpool. Like, if any of your th- key players go down, then that's it. Right. Um, so, there's some that's something to think about. Like I said, Van Dyke, you know, with him saving some of some of the games, um, with him. And even he had a shaky moment this weekend yeah. at Fulham when he ended up having a bad back pass um, with a header to Allison, and there yeah. was miscommunication there. Ryan Babel, former Liverpool p- player, ends up uh, pouncing on that chance. Like, even that shows that the two probably best players for Liverpool this season showed that they can even yeah struggle. And I thought after watching that goal happen, I just figured – okay, this is not our year at all. This is something that it it was almost reminiscent of what happened with Stevie G uh, during Chelsea (laughs) and Demba Ba scoring that goal. So it was almost reminiscent of that. But then Liverpool found a way to score that second goal and uh, score the PK through James Milner. So it's, it's reassuring in that way that they've been able to find ways to win when they clearly aren't in their best form. Mm. Um. Yeah, I mean, but you know, for a team like Man City or even Man U, they can afford to lo- like. <laughs> Man U had had to travel without ten of their best, like you know, right, right, guys, their usual guys, and they still won a Champions League. Whereas, I don't think that Liverpool c- fans can say the same if they had lost. Oh, I totally agree with that. Yeah, if they had lost, I don't know, like Mane and and Salah and yeah, this is where my pessimism yeah. as a Liverpool fan fan is coming through. But Hedjun, as we enter the final, I would say five to ten minutes of this podcast, what I really want to talk about right now is the international break. Mm. Um, I think it's the final international break of the season, yeah. um, or of the I would say the league season. So. For me, all I'm hoping for is hopefully Liverpool players 
all of them stay healthy. So I'm I'm sending prayers up for that. And then I'm also really focused on this U.S. men's national team. Um, they have Ecuador and Chile uh, during this international break period, and they have Ecuador this Thursday. And what I'm very intrigued to see, especially under Greg Berhalter's um, direction, is where Tyler Adams plays. There's a lot of talk about him playing right back instead of his usual center midfield position because of the role the right back has um, in Burhalter's system where he ends up pinching in uh, offensively into the middle of the field where Adams is a lot more comfortable in center midfield and then he's able to make recovery runs um, at right back and then basically pushing DeAndre Yedlin up up front and playing base basically playing him as a winger at, mm. at right uh, winger. So I'm curious to see how they line up, especially with most of their their senior guys in the fold this international break. I wonder what the back line looks like um, with John Brooks and possibly Matt Miazga playing in the middle of the park. And then what Weston McKinney and Christian Pulisic look like because Pulisic's been hasn't been in U.S. men's national team camp for a while because of injuries and just not being called in because he's been integral to Dortmund's run, even though he's been on the bench as a sub. And Weston McKinney, who's, I would say, looked one as one of the best players um, on this U.S. men's national team for Schalke. So I'm curious to see how they line up as a team and what if there's some clarity um, for this U.S. men's national team as they move forward uh, for 2022. I don't really have much to say about the U.S. men's national team except, like, good job on trying to get those younger players in and, you know, trying to... Um, trying to make a difference. Yeah, I think one of the things that I wanted to, I guess, harp upon is the philosophical changes that a lot of U.S. men's national team players... this. This, I would say, generation from Pulisic on down is, are are they having a mentality shift in terms of seeking out the best type of competition in Europe instead of being content in playing in, in the MLS? And I think you've, you're starting to see that. And Pulisic has really uh, done a good job of trailblazing this path for a lot of young U.S. men's national team players, you look at Weston McKinney, you look at Tyler Adams, Josh Sargent, who he didn't even mention. Those are three, four of the key guys, I would say, that are going to be the the foundation of this 2022 um, World Cup roster. And they're really pushing for minutes. They're getting minutes um, on Bundesliga teams right now at the ages of 19, 20, and 21. And... I think there's this connection between German soccer and U.S. soccer that's been there, obviously, since Jurgen um, Klinsmann has brought ha- was brought in as the U.S. men's national team coach, uh, what, what was it, eight to ten years ago. And that link has always been there. And then Pulisic really pushed that forward 
especially once he started getting minutes for Dortmund and has opened the gates for young U.S. men's national team players because of, oh, wow, Christian Pulisic is succeeding in the Bundesliga and more German coaches are willing to take chances on young U.S. Um, US players. And I think that's what needs to happen. Um, and exactly. Yeah, and, and you see that that's the trend even with like the German national team, how there was a controversy around uh, Thomas Mueller, uh, Boateng, and I think it was Hummels. Yes. Um, Where they're getting pushed out. Yeah, and <laughs> Thomas Mueller is not even 30. He's he's like 27. Same thing with Boateng. He's like they're close to like they're close to 30, but they're not even like they're they're still. I would say maybe starting their decline yeah. but they're still really I good mean, they soccer bring players. A tremendous amount of experience and and kind of presence in the locker room probably but i mean we could talk about that for you know another 20 minutes about how german you know football screwed up but um same thing with korea i want to say right the the roster that they decided to go with for the for the international match you got kid like we have a freaking seventeen year old kid. Yeah, and why don't you talk about Yi Kang in for a little bit? Because I I think that's a face that he's gonna feature pretty heavily. Yeah. Um, he'll probably make the next World Cup squad as the young guy that Yi Sung Woo was in that role this uh this time in twenty eighteen. But I think he'll be that guy in twenty twenty two, and he's. He's one of these players that's being hyped up a lot, a lot, um, just like Lee Sung Woo was um, um, when he played in Barcelona. But I think Lee Kang In is, I think he might be even better than what Lee Sung Woo showed. Yeah, he's uh, he's probably, I think he holds the record for youngest guy to debut, and he plays for Val- Valencia and uh, La Liga. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're no slouch at all. No. Yeah. Um, he's yeah. He's seventeen years old. He just got called up to the uh, the senior uh, team, and we also have, of course, Lee Sung Woo. But we also have someone like Pek Sung Ho, who was playing alongside uh, Lee Sung Woo uh, back in Barcelona days in the youth academy. Uh, he's at Girona now. Yeah. La Liga again. Um, and you have, like, think about it. Like, Sonomin is one of the oldest guys on that team now. Yeah, and he's twenty six. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah, right. We're look like it almost feels like it was Germany back in like twenty ten. Yeah, and I I hope that this team is able to grow together, and in the next three to four years before the twenty twenty two World Cup, they're actually able to show real real progress in talent and skill yeah and really be able to support Sonungmin in his quest to kind of make pushes to till to consistency for the Korea, Korean team and um, get out of the group stages for next world yeah next world cup cycle. and here's a dilemma I think for for Korea is you got someone like Sonungmin who paid like impact who really paved the way, mm-hmm. right? Um and for a lot of a lot of people have been now 
going overseas, like a lot of U.S. players now, too. Right, right? right. They're seeking that. The that, challenge. Yeah. Right. And, but the thing is, same thing with MLS, the, the Korean league isn't really up to par. Right. Right. And if we are to miss out on those talents, then how is it ever going to be? Right. And I think I think this is the balance that a lot of, I would say, um, heads of football that aren't based in Europe or aren't European countries really struggle with when they have their own domestic league. How do they and it, it's this balancing effect of how do they improve their squad with domestic based players, but then also push those players to go for greater challenges outside of those domestic leagues because that's how Germany ended up really building up their base of okay, this is how we play German football, and all those German teams in the Bundesliga understand how to play that style of football, whereas. There isn't that, I would say, connection between MLS and um, the U.S. men's national team. And I think that's the struggle when trying to improve the product back at home at MLS, but then also give the necessary push to the top players to go out and seek those opportunities in Europe. But it's also good to see um, MLS trying to... or teams trying to uh, i guess invest right yeah. like young atlanta. players yeah Academy look at players. atlanta um even then even the local team new york red bulls yeah. here um has really heavily invested in yeah. the youth and the young talent um, uh, new york city new york city fc right um and like david beckham's new miami team down there mm-hmm. um so we got a lot of mls is gonna be going through a lot of changes and gonna be seeing a lot of uh, investments in the coming years and hopefully that's that's you know something for the better like hopefully 20 30 years down the road mls will be a challenge for a lot of like maybe asian players or even like you know south american players right. to go and over. i think i think that's a hope hopefully that they're able to integrate between and there's been talks about this between mls and um, the Mexican um, league and have a basically like a super league so yeah. that they're able to combine these leagues and the talent pool together. So I wonder what ends up happening there. Um, but yeah, I'm very excited about seeing what the U.S. men's national team looks like on um, on on Thursday against Ecuador. Okay, so hedging. I did want to bring this surprise topic up, and it has nothing to do with soccer or football at all. Uh-huh. So, Mike Trout ends up signing a $430 million <laughs> deal yeah. um, today yeah. um, as of Tuesday. Made a fool out of Harper. Right. $430 million for 12 years to stay with the the Angels. Yeah. Now, I've... I have a litany of questions um, stemming off of this, whether it be Harper. And we're both uh, pretty big baseball fans. Um, what are your feelings about an athlete getting $430 million? And do you feel like Mike Trout is worth it? And then how pissed is Bryce Harper right now <laughs> that he's basically making $100 million less over the same amount? over the same amount of time uh okay so the first question is is 
is he worth the 400 wait what was what was the first part I, it, the first part was should an athlete oh. be paid 430 million dollars uh, which is the ri- richest contract in across all four sports leagues yeah um i don't think so okay not ever like is that 430 guaranteed that's all guaranteed so there are so there are incentives alongside that too. I'm assuming. I'm assuming, but yeah, I think that 430 is all guaranteed. Uh, see, in 12 years. Yeah, and the honestly, the thing is, my friend and I were having a discussion about this, and if he hit the open market, he probably would have made 500 million. <sighs> Don't you think he would have probably made 500? Yeah, million? like yeah, I, I think I, the Yankees I, I, or the Phillies would have been like. Here's five hundred million over twelve so years or something. I'll say this: Bryce Harper definitely has more of a name value, just because he talks a lot more. Right. Um, and I think he's his probably the louder guy. Yeah, right, right. he's he's a louder guy in the room. But I think Trout as a player is worth a lot more. Yeah, he's I mean can he's be one of the best all time. Yeah, and he's if he continues at where he's at. Um. But. Like, who? <sighs> it's almost mind-boggling to think about the amount of money that he's going to be making playing. Same baseball. thing with so Bryce Harper. What he he's on a thirteen-year contract. Thirteen years, three hundred thirty yeah. million. I think it is. So, you have to think about when they start declining, right? Right, and and at what age? Because. Right. Trout is at 27, I believe, and Harper I think Harper's 26. 26. Yeah. So Harper, like, what? At age 32, 33, realistically, is going to be at the same or relatively the same. So seven out of the 12 years is good for Mike Trout until age 33, 34, and that's even being generous, honestly. Yeah. And then the last five years of that contract, so five years for a hundred, so a hundred, I think it's thirty-five million per year. So it's basically a hundred seventy-five million dollars of like a decline in so production. Yeah. So what do you do when you want to rebuild a whole team, but you have <laughs> an old guy sitting, sitting out and like you know just earning the paycheck? Like, what do you do? Right. And I think that's just the function of the way baseball works in terms of contracts, honestly, in that their arbitration years early on um, in their careers, they make basically pennies compared to what uh, veterans make. And the way the, I would say, the CBA or whatever is structured is it favors veterans getting paid over younger guys. Um, and it's m- almost like a penalty for these teams, like saying, like, all right, Mike Trout produced such and such over from age 20 to 26 or whatever, or 27. And because of that production, that value is going to be reflected in how much he gets paid for the future. Even if you know he's going to decline, it's almost like, all right, here's the tax for. Um, him playing so well. But uh, going back on topic, uh, I, I don't think anybody's worth that much money. That much money. So, so how, like, ideally, in an ideal world, what's the most mo- amount of money you would offer a player like Mike Trout? Mike Trout. 
Because I know, I mean, he would go. But for I, a I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't offer him more than more than seven, eight years. Yeah. Like, sh- sure, that's like saying, "Oh, I'm just gonna use you up to your prime, and then probably trade you away, or you know, right. let you walk." But for a player like, no, it makes sense. Yeah. it totally makes sense. It's just I don't. And like that's what Dodgers did to. Bryce Harper, they basically said, "Hey, we're gonna just use you until well, you're I washed up." Obviously, it makes sense, but if teams are gonna be offering 12, 13, 14 year deals, they're gonna lock in the long term well, security. That's that's Bryce Harper's. He didn't. He says he doesn't care about the money. He wanted to have a long contract. That's what he told his agent, right? So he got thirteen years. Yeah, right? but Trout got twelve. Yeah, so that's what I mean. So like. like but like that could become the new norm. You know what I mean? Like Well, it's always for a lot a lot it, But I think it's always been there. If you look back, like A Rod kind of started it back in the day with that ten year deal, two hundred fifty million. It the figures have gone up because of inflation but when, and when, things like that. When when did uh A Rod make that how old old was he? He was like twenty seven too. He was, was he? around that age. Yeah, and that was the that was the contract that took him through um, well, yeah. through Texas yeah, yeah. and then to the Yankees. Yeah. So, I I mean, it's a lot of money, and it I don't know if it makes sense at all. And with baseball declining, I don't know how these owners are going to afford it. But here, here's the thing, right? Yankees can probably afford that kind of contract. Yeah. Can Philly? Can, can Angels? Apparently they can because they've offered same it. Thing so with, same thing with Machado going down to San Diego, San Diego and getting that contract yep and then yeah it's 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 just fascinating to kind of see i just felt like i i thought i would bring it up because we like baseball i I think with uh trout it kind of makes more sense because he's been playing in uh for angels for for quite some time it's not like he's going to a different team getting that 12 12 year deal and defensively he's looked a lot better than harper is and yeah like he's just a better player overall yeah Yeah, he's just of course he's the best player in the in the league um and i think that's where it it kind of makes sense so i don't know it's a fascinating discussion between like what a player's value is and what what his real value is and what his like perceived value is but do you think pitchers will be able to ever get that amount of contract i I I don't think so no i don't think that's realistic at all but i mean it it goes across all sports like there's certain positions like running back in the nfl they don't get paid as much as i would say quarterbacks yeah just because of the wear and tear of that position you kind of saw that with the levy on bell situation so it it be it makes a lot of sense um and it's it's an interesting but who's going to want to become a pitcher, right? No, I, I, I don't, I don't think it's like that because it's more like, this is how I explain it to people. When you're a kid, what's like the sexy position as a kid? <laughs> the pitcher, sure. because yeah. you get to play and you don't get hit, you don't get the ball hit in the outfield as much when you're a kid. Yeah. You have more control when you're a pitcher. Now think about it in football. What's like the sexy position in football when you're a kid? Running back, running oh, back running or quarterback? Back. Yeah. Because you can't when you're eight years old, you, you can't, can't throw. throw the ball. Yeah, there's no concept to throwing the ball. So that's why a lot of kids who are probably the most athletic kids end up being the running back mm. because they get the most touches on the field. So 
I don't know if that position will ever die out just because of the function of the le- little league system or the youth system. So I, I'm curious to see um, what ends up happening in the future of those positions and whether or not because of the perceived money that changes things. Um, mm. So kind of an interesting discussion there, Hedgin. Um So yeah. that's to wrap uh, the Champions League preview for the final eight for the quarterfinals. And uh, me and Hedrin will probably be back um, talking about some form of Champions League baseball. We're in like the last month and a half of the season for uh, soccer before we get into the summer tournament. So um, we're really excited to see what ends up happening in this in, uh, down the stretch here for for soccer. And baseball ramps up eventually. We're going to be out of spring training soon. Um, Chung O Kang and <laughs> ended up being named the starter at third base for Pittsburgh after yep. um, a tumultuous time that he had over the past couple of years of being injured, DUI arrest, um, all that type of stuff. So, uh, starting third baseman for the Pittsburgh Pirates. So, go Pirates, I guess, and um, maybe he's able to get his life back mm-hmm. on track. So, Hedrin, thanks again for coming back on, and um, I look forward to uh, the rest of the, the rest of the Premier League season. And to our listeners, if you haven't subscribed yet, please subscribe to the podcast, like the podcast, oh, rate it. We're doing that now? Yeah, rate it, review it, do all that type of stuff. We need, we need more listens and all that stuff. Hit so like, subscribe, and... <laughs> exactly. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Please do that. Thanks, guys.